0: Welcome to The PA Is In, the show created by PAs for PAs, where codependency with your supervising physician is a thing of the past, optimal team practice is the future, and physician associate has taken the place of physician assistant as the professional title of choice. I'm Tracy Bingaman, and I'm obsessed with redefining what success as a PA looks like and what it feels like. Here you'll find the mindset shifts, systems, and processes I use to escape healthcare burnout and integrate my work into my life. Work-life balance is a myth, and an integrated life where you thrive professionally, not a balancing act, is the goal here. My mission is to help you to grow into a unicorn PA who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work-optional financial freedom. The PA is in today on the PA is in we are hosting an awesome guest John Appino from Contract Diagnostics. Contract Diagnostics is the only firm in the whole United States with a 100% focus on assisting physicians and advanced level practitioners in understanding and negotiating their contract agreements and compensation structures. John is going to break down how to stop feeling anxious about negotiating, how to clarify what you're going to get paid, what the benefits are, what the schedule is, what the heck is the deal with call, all the things that you've been wondering about your current job or a future job. So without further ado, here he is, John
1: Apino. John, welcome to The PA Is In. Thank you so
0: much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. These are always fun and uh, I'm excited to spend the next whatever, so many minutes with you and your and your, uh, your listeners and everything else.
0: Awesome. So tell us a little bit about you and what you
1: do. So I am John, uh, John Apino. I run a company called Contract Diagnostics. It's a company that I founded uh, about 12 years ago, um, maybe 13 times flying. Uh, and what Contract Diagnostics does, we're a national company that 100% of our day is spent reviewing employment contracts or 1099 contracts between a physician or a pa or a nurse practitioner or a crna and their employer or their contracting entity as it may be so uh this is all we do so we've been doing it for you know 12 plus years we've helped you know tens of thousands of of physicians and pas and their families go through their contract and uh, help them negotiate and come up with fair and reasonable questions to ask and you know how to do due diligence and we love to coach and to uh, to spend time with those types of individuals on a daily basis.
0: I feel super strongly that this is a huge need as a clinician. I can remember getting out of school and I was so excited to get a job offer that they gave me a contract and I I mean I think I read it but I didn't really scrutinize it. I didn't really get what I was signing, I didn't understand its enforceability or limitations or things that could have gotten me in trouble. So I would love if you could talk to us about I mean, this is really the non-clinical, the business side, the logistics side of working in medicine. These are things that a lot of clinicians don't learn in school and can be this huge blind spot. So why does this matter? Why is it important for us to really have this on the radar from reviewing our current contracts to like future employer contracts?
1: Well, um a lot of stuff so first you're right i mean you guys spend so much of your lives training yourselves as scientists you know and as clinicians uh, that this is just not part of the curriculum um we have we we, we have a, a great education department we have a physician uh on our staff who's an educator so dr catherine just focuses on educating everybody out there so we have a great blog we give lots of lectures we do lots of stuff with uh with with major conferences like the acc Um and we also do a lot of like just just smaller lectures with residency programs and fellowship programs, so we can try to increase the amount of knowledge and education around these things that you just don't have time for in school. But you know, even our 40 minutes presentation, you know, you can't you can't unpack everything that you need to know in 40 minutes. So um, but as far as like why they should have things looked at, I mean, these contracts, I mean, you're signing something that talks about your income, sort of important. It talks about your time sort of important talks about your benefits sort of important it also talks about potential downstream things that could happen if the job doesn't work out Uh, a couple of easy examples are like a restrictive covenant or a non-compete or a non-solicitation there might be uh, costs to leave the job maybe repaying a certain dollar amount maybe losing out on a bonus capture um, or even buying something called tail insurance, which is a type of malpractice insurance that you'd have to buy if it's not provided to you through the job. Um, and we could go on and on, but those are kind of the main reasons that I think every physician, nurse practitioner, PA, CRNA, dentist should have their contract fully reviewed and understand it by somebody who knows what they're doing, not just say, "Well, you know, my." My mother, um, who's an attorney, looked at it and maybe she helps with, you know, family law and she does DUIs or helps with divorces or patent litigation or something very, very important, but not this type of space. And so I think it's really important that everyone has their agreement looked at, not only um, even if it's non-negotiable. So, you know, this is what it says. Here's what it clearly does not say and you should clarify. And of course, if there's anything else that you should ask for, if it's a change, if it's a modification, if it's a clarification, whether it's around money or around a risk obligation, um, you know how to proceed forward with those discussions with the employer. Because again, it's one thing to, to to know what to talk about, and it's a whole other thing to say, how do you talk about it? How do you ask for those things? And that's one of the things that we love doing here is, is not only sharing what we've learned by reviewing the agreement with you, but also coaching you as far as the how it sounds and what do you say to the employer to make it sound smooth.
0: And I think that asking those questions for clarity makes us very nervous because we're in this situation, like they've offered us a job, right? We're like, yay, okay, they offered us this position, they gave us this contract, and then you read it over and you're like, wait, Is paid time off all in one bucket or is sick time separate? Are the hours this or that? Is the, okay, clinic closes at five. Is the last appointment at 4.15 or is it at five? Like, you know, so that you can figure out what your life is going to look like when you're actually living out this contract and working and doing those things. So when someone's looking at a contract... I feel like we have this tendency of saying like clarity is good, but also I don't want to be pigeonholed into it being too specific and restricting me. So how do you guys navigate that balance?
1: I think it's all dependent on the position, the initial expectations that the like the clinician has with the, uh, with the employer. Um, you know, for example, you know, call might be something that's in there. And you and I were talking earlier, something that says equal call may be a good thing if there's 13 people, but it may not be a good thing if there's two. And so, yeah, how do you, you know, but you don't want to say that you will take five calls a month because what if you wanna take six? What if you wanna take seven? And maybe you should get paid for it, but now the contract says five and you said, well, I'll take six, but the contract says five. So yeah, there's, there's ways to have those conversations with the employer to figure out those expectations and then ways that you can, if if they're willing to modify the language, whether it's in the contract itself, or maybe in a side letter, there's ways that you can kind of navigate around that to provide either or scenarios.
0: And when I work with clients, oftentimes I hear I was hired. The contract didn't mention call now in a staff meeting last week, they say, Hey, uh, things changed, you know, the, the hospital's asking us to do this, this person left, whatever the situation is, and tag, you're it. So now your group or you personally are going to be taking this call. So how do we navigate that when it was not an issue when we were hired, when it wasn't something that was addressed in the contract? Like, do we need a new contract? What do we do when there's, oh, by the way, you're now responsible for this? Happens.
1: So first, I always think that good candid communication, you know, verbally, not through an email or something like that, is Really, really important. So if you do get an email, maybe that says, Hey, unfortunately, calls going up next week, you're now taking x amount. Um, I think you can get into a back and forth on email, which is unhealthy, I think the best thing and to realize put yourself in their shoes as well. Okay. Uh, They their job is to make sure that call is covered. You know, and their job is not to upset you, or to make you want to quit, or to get a rouse out of you, or to, you know, their job is to be a, an efficient manager of the practice. Depending who, who's sending you the email or asking for more call, um, but they're but the last thing they want is for you to get upset. The last thing they want is for you to leave the position. The last thing they want is for you to you know speak negatively about them to your colleagues. Um, so they're just trying to do their job, which is make sure that the coverage for the clinic or the patients or the hospital or the the, uh, the division whatever it is is taken care of um, and so if there would be an extra requirement i think good open and honest communication is always important i think if you can do it live that's best if you can do if it's over the phone but definitely not through something like email and then i think if they're asking you to do something that's uh, what you feel is above and beyond um, i think it's always good to make sure you know what the contract says maybe they're contractually unable to force you into more calls Um, and so you could point out, look, section five in my contract says I'm taking call no more than one in 10, unless I give permission and I'm not giving my permission, you know, without pay or, or, or I'm willing to give you my permission for two months, or, you know, maybe you could have some kind of negotiation back and forth. Now it's depending on the contract. Of course, it's always possible to just. Decline the obligation and say, I'm not doing it. You can call locums. You know, or maybe you can say, look, I've got two options for you. I I'm willing to do it for two months until you find a replacement or until my colleague gets back from maternity leave or uh, disability leave or whatever it might be the reason for the extra call or they, they hire someone else for the department. Um, I'm willing to do it for an extra so many months. Um, maybe you want to ask for a certain amount of compensation that would be fair for the extra you know, duties and requirements. Or maybe you'll say, I'll take extra call, but then when you hire, I'm taking less call. You know so if i take three months of call at you know 10 days per month then when we hire somebody else i want to do two months of call that's you know whatever five days per month or so something less to make up for the balance that over a quarter or over a biannual period or a year period that my call would have been the same regardless so i think there's ways that you can have a reasonable conversation adult to adult but sometimes we have those employers and they say i'm not happy about it either but you're going to do it and in that case i think you've got a couple of options you know i mean you if they're breaching the contract that's a breach of contract issue um you could leave the position again now it comes back to what's the contract say about can you terminate if so how long And do you have to buy tail insurance do you lose any financials you know so that kind of down down there's a lot of downfall that can come from a decision like that but i think one is just knowing what your options are which is again Going back to having the contract reviewed the first time, understanding what you need to do and what you don't need to do. And then if you're not happy, what you can do. I think those things are all super important, but uh, I know one other question that you asked was, um, if, if you didn't review the contract and your contract does say something like, you know, you'll take as much call as we decide you'll take, you know, which is <laughs> uncommon. Maybe, maybe, maybe not in those exact words, but it's not uncommon to see, you know, call shall be directed by the employer which when i read that it says you'll do whatever the heck we ask you to do and right? you have absolutely um, no
0: nothing that you can say about it and, right yep.
1: and if you're in that situation where you know they come in they say look we're adding a saturday clinic and you're going to staff it no you don't get friday afternoon off we're adding call and you're going to take the extra call no you're not going to get anything else it's just extra stuff and nope we're not going to pay you anymore it is what it is again now it comes down to okay you can obviously take it if you say you could just decline and see what they do they could do nothing they could force you into it they could fire you right so if there's a difference between them firing you and you quitting a job based on the termination provision there might be different nuances right they fire you therefore this happens or you quit therefore that happens so you know i always think it's good and important to know all of your options but i do think that you can renegotiate your agreement um, you know every other year every third year so just because you signed a contract four years ago if you didn't have it reviewed i do think that every clinician should be raising their hand every second or third year and say hey can we please talk about my my position um, i want to know what i'm doing well i want to know what i could do better i want to talk about my compensation and i think in those meetings i think that's a great time to say i'm looking for an addendum to my agreement um, first off i'd like a X percent raise. Again, understand your market value and know your market value. That's a whole different topic. But once you know your market value, if you're not being paid, how do you have the conversation to get it there? And then during those discussions, when we're talking about modifying language around compensation or time off for CME dollars or something else, I think that's a great time to bring up. I would also like the addendum to address the call. I realize it wasn't adequately addressed in my initial agreement, Can the adjustment or the addendum or the update or the new agreement or whatever they're providing, can that please say, you know, you shall take call X and Y and Z and everything else. So I think that you can, if you never did it to begin with, I never think it's too late to have that conversation and raise your hand.
0: So that is something that I wish that I had done sooner and more proactively in my own career that I had raised my hand and said, hey, I am doing a great job and I want to proactively review my contract and get this agreement, all of these things. And the other thing that I want to say that you said early on when we started talking about, hey, they're asking me to do something that wasn't really part of my initial contract, I have seen colleagues do this. I have personally done this. When you get that email or that text message, hey, this is now your responsibility, sort of the tag you're it, immediately we like group message everyone else that is affected by that instead of like having a conversation with the person who's asking. And oftentimes we don't have a ton of context, right? So we don't know where that's coming from. So a good reminder to just like, hey, Why is this happening? Did I turn and talk to the person who can actually change it, or am I sort of bitching with my colleagues on a text chain that's not going to make any difference whatsoever?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you and you, I think when you don't clarify and have that conversation, and you assume, you know, it's. I mean, a a, uh, a, an easy example is, you know, if you you told your spouse, "Hey, we're going to have dinner." Um, at seven o'clock, and they get home at seven twenty, and you're you're steaming mad when they come in, when they come in because it's seven twenty, and I said seven, you know where in the heck were you? And maybe they had stopped to get you a gift, and they had a flat tire, or maybe they, you know, who who knows what happened? But you, you're if you assume that they were just taking their time, or you know, scrolling through their social media in the garage and not coming in or whatever, you can sometimes miss the context. So I think it's always important to to knowing that we're all adults. And again, the employer's job is to keep you happy and to keep you working hard and to keep you motivated and not to upset you. And to now of course their job is to make a successfully run efficient business that's profitable which means sometimes getting the most out of you for the least amount of you know, input or wages and benefits. So it's important to understand their perspective, but it's always good to have conversations.
0: One of my very favorite things about being a podcaster is crossing paths with other incredible podcasters. If you love this show, especially when I share about my experience with healthcare burnout and recovery, you're gonna to wanna to check out the podcast, Burnout, What I've Learned So Far hosted by my friend, Meg Letty. Meg is a former CT surgery PA turned advocate for healthcare provider wellness. Turn in to hear how she recovered from burnout and integrated well-being into her life to create a life of dreams, not nightmares. Add burnout, what I have learned so far with Meg Letty to your podcast queue to start your journey to wellness and healing today. Um, that organization started to add that into advanced practice contracts more and more as they realized hey, these PAs, these NPs are drawing their own patients, and patients would follow them if they were to leave to go to another practice. And I've started seeing them inpatient, outpatient, across the board as something that advanced practice providers are seeing as a part of their contract. So, what do we need to know about non competes? What are they? What's the difference between non compete and a restricted? covenant tell us all yeah. the
1: well real quick what percent of pas nurse practitioners do you think have employment agreements
0: oh 75 percent
1: you think it's that high okay i don't know i know it's been increasing over the years um but um but uh but i i know when i've had negotiation calls for physician clients with you know, um with, with with large employers, you know, and I've asked them, hey, are you contracting with your nurse practitioners and your PAs? And they'll say, No, we're not right now, John, you know, because they just have like, you know, look, you work here and, you know, you get paid X dollars per year. But now with the with more bonus structures coming in place and obviously they're putting them under non competes, which before maybe they didn't have, which is why they weren't under a contract. And, you know, um But if I was going to give somebody advice about a non-compete, I would say, keep up to the, you know, know what's going on in your area, right? Because there's lots of nuances between localities. So, you know, I mean, for example, we see two or three year non-competes in the Northeast, but not in Massachusetts, because they don't have non-competes in Massachusetts, we see one or two year non-competes in a lot of other places. So, you know, if we saw three year non-compete in Illinois, it would be strange. And if we saw one year non compete in New York, it'd be strange in a good way, right? Because we usually see two or three years. Um, So it's always important to understand what's going on in your local area. Um, It's important to know if the non compete is standard for everybody in the department. So maybe you know if you're a PA working in a dermatology practice in a large multi specialty group, is there a difference between a PA uh, in dermatology, right? Who obviously maybe has a lot of patients that they would follow if they left. Is their non-compete different from somebody who works with the hospitalist team, you know, who maybe if they left, they mean the hospitalized patient's not going to pick up and go somewhere else. Right. So is there a difference between the different specialties? Is there a difference between the physicians and the PAs or then the nurse practitioners? I think it's good, again, all coming back to clarifying questions. So before we just say, if the non-compete that says, for example, for two years, you can't work for 20 miles. Right. Do We say, well, I want one year and five miles. Well, let's not just ask them, let's seek to understand first. So I think it's important to understand where did the two years, 20 miles come from? Does anybody have something different? How is it set up? I think it's really important to clarify on the front end. And then it's also good to know how, and again, these can be so small nuances in an agreement that without the trained eye, you can easily miss them. So is it from a primary location? If so, how is that defined? Your primary location may be clear in the agreement. It's the location on Fifth Street. Or maybe it just says where you see 50% of your patients or where you practice the last 12 months. So primary could mean five places. You know, is it the hospital? Is it the clinic? Is it, if it's your, where, if it's your primary, meaning where you're at the most, is it where you physically are? Is it where you bill the most? Is it generate the most dollars? Is it where you see the most patients? Those could be three different places, you know? So what exact location is the 10 miles, 20 miles from? Um, Or is it from many locations? We've seen some contracts that says it's from any location of the employer and any future location of the employer and location of their affiliates. Well, now we have no idea, do they have three affiliates? Um, How many, uh, if they've got three affiliates, can we see a list? I don't even know where the 20 miles is from. So is it from three places or from 25 places? So again, we need to seek a lot of clarity around those things and then figure out what we can do to negotiate them. If they're in effect, no matter what, in any circumstance, or if it's only in certain instances, um, you know, if it's, if I'm, if I work there for six months and I leave, I'm not going to take a lot of people. Nobody knows me yet. Um, or if you terminate me without cause, you know, maybe you, you, are just not in a good financial place. So you terminate me to free up some cash. Um, does it kick into effect then because i've done nothing wrong you know versus you know i don't show up for work and i get fired it's a little bit different it's kind of your fault if you didn't show up for work and you get terminated you go so i think it's hyper important to do the first thing with a restrictive covenant is to understand what's going on in my area what's typical what's normal why is it say what it says and then of course with the understanding that you know what it says if it's from one place or ten places it's You know, how how many miles or, you know, how many counties, depending on if it's it's a specific location um, or not. We're seeing a lot of places say there's a carve out for private practice now. So maybe it says you can't work within 10 miles of the hospital, but you can go to a private practice. You know, now it may not be as applicable to a PA or a nurse practitioner, depending on the local rules, because maybe you would do a standalone practice by yourself because you'd want to be with a proctoring physician um or a supervising physician depending on where you are um or maybe that would be i think telehealth is another you know another asterisk that you should check into if that's a potential that you might want to leave and do telehealth so maybe you're you know you're in chicago and you live inside the radius but you're doing care for patients in arizona so what uh, what then and so i think there's all this other you know which is why it's important to understand have everything clarified and discussed on the front end and reviewed by by a company that knows what they're doing because there's so many different nuances to these restrictions that I think it's important that uh, that people really understand what they're signing and what is truly negotiable and 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 then uh, what's fair for an, an ask depending on your frame.
0: If you only take one sheet of paper to your next negotiation, let it be the PA Pay One Sheet. It's a tool designed to walk you through setting up the ideal outcomes, assessing the situation you are negotiating in, and it even includes a reminder of which negotiation skills you can use. Stop what you are doing. Download the one sheet, print it out, Fill it out and literally bring it to the table with you when you are negotiating next. It's designed specifically to work in healthcare settings wherever you are. You can use the PA one sheet to get the best deal, the biggest raise, and to help your confidence walking into your next negotiation. Head to www.tracybingaman.com one that's O-N-E to download your free copy of the PA pay one sheet and start prepping for your next negotiation today. It's linked in the show notes, but in case you missed it, it's at www.tracybingaman.com O-N-E. So these conversations can be very anxiety-provoking for someone who doesn't like conflict or just doesn't feel super comfortable with the content of what we're talking about. And I think we have this at least I have this limiting belief of like the person you're negotiating with is like a master expert business person who's like super great at negotiating. I know nothing. They're out to get me. I feel like it can be very emotional. It can be like, I thought they wanted me. And then they give me this contract that says all of these ridiculous things. And it seemed like a great place of work. And now I'm sort of getting lost in this. So what advice do you have for us if we're just like anxious about negotiating, like conversations make us feel really sweaty. And like even just thinking about having the conversation makes
1: us anxious. How can you help us to feel better about that? All right. So as far as negotiating, I know it's not something that, that they train you guys in, right? And some people get nervous and some people don't know which way, how to even begin. Do I send an email? Do I have a conversation with them? And I think the important thing to know is that the person who gave you the contract is expecting you have questions if they're not i don't think they're i mean that to me would be a red flag and if you ask questions and if they don't reply in a very in a clear concise way to the specific question that you ask again that's a red flag so i think every clinician out there owes it to themselves as you want to uncover red flags before it's too late i think if they which means they owe it to themselves to have that conversation to do the due diligence uh, whether you call it clarifying or negotiating i think you know, some people think I'm not a trained negotiator. I don't want to read five books on negotiating, and I'm not a deal person. And it doesn't have to be. You don't have to ask for changes. You don't have to ask for more money. Um, but if you, you know, but it's always a good idea to clarify. If someone did leave, what would happen to my call? What are your expectations on the compensation? How many patients should I be seeing after? You know uh, one year in the practice how many patients per day do the other pas or nurse practitioners see i think all those are good clarifying questions and with those we're not asking for anything we're not saying and i want section 5.3 line 7 change from this word to that word and i want twenty thousand dollars and i want no, no 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 you don't have to ask for that stuff but if the analysis around the compensation and your fair market worth shows that you should ask for twenty thousand there's a way to do that and that's what we do at contract diagnostics is not just say look the contract looks good but here's some ways you could clarify it's also saying based on your frame you know you know we 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 have fun because sometimes we work with these sweet little pediatricians who don't want to ask for anything and then we ask for these you know highly decorated you know 40 years in practice surgeon who you know who started five different heart programs and command seven figure salaries and you know and we work with you know kind of reeling the surgeon back in some areas and kind of building the pediatrician up um but i think that's it's important to know that they're expecting you to have the conversation and there's there's a way to do it that can sound smooth and easy for example we give all of our clients a list of questions um that they can ask around compensation and none of the questions are can I have more okay because the questions are made up to if asked um if if asked period whether you say it with a certain tone or with a nervous undertone or you know with with a lot of command in your voice if you ask these questions the the question of should I ask for more or how do I ask for more will become apparent right and so it's not just about saying, "How do I say I want twenty thousand dollars more?" That's why I'm not going to call them and have a conversation. I'm just going to email them. Can I please have twenty thousand dollars more, please, pretty please? If you say no, I won't be mad. You know, whatever. Um, but it's okay. That's okay why if I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. just maybe pretty please. No, but there's but there's a way to ask certain questions to make you realize. So should I ask for more money? And and then they'll almost lead themselves into the. OK, here comes the request and they're almost expecting it. So it becomes so much more natural to you as a now a trained negotiator with our system that you understand and it makes it much easier for you to go through and, and have that conversation with the employer or a potential contracting entity or whatever it is. So I, I think I guess to summarize it all up, they're expecting you to ask questions and have questions. You should 100 percent have questions. If I was an employer and I offered a job to you and you just flipped to the last page and said, hey, that's good money and sign it. I would be kind of nervous myself. You know, how, is she taking this job seriously? Is she planning on sticking around? She didn't even ask when her health insurance starts. So I think I understand that they're, gonna, they, they're expecting that. And it's not a win-lose. It's a, you know, you guys are working together for the same common goal, which is getting you there and getting you up to speed and keeping you happy for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. When you say this, it reminds me a lot of patient interactions, right? So a patient comes to you, they have a problem, they want you to solve it. You want to solve it and make them feel better. And in order to do that, you want to work together to get to the same goal. And so if you can think about this as like getting a patient on board with something, you know, and making sure that you're asking those questions, I think that even if you're already in a position and someone like something's changing, or even you're just like, hey, this isn't exactly what I thought, like, let's just sit down and talk about it. I have questions like this was what I thought it would be. And this isn't exactly like that. Asking questions and getting clarity makes means there's less room for that misunderstanding of not, you know, I thought it would be, and it's not. And now I'm mad and I'm resentful and I don't like this job because of this.
1: Oh, but you bring up a great point. You know, I mean, you guys are trained to have difficult conversations, right? hey you're a little overweight you really should stop eating crappy food or you know i know you don't want to exercise but you really should go or i hate to say your cholesterol is high and you might die of a heart attack unless you take these five steps that i'm going to lay out for you so you guys are used to telling people things that they don't want to hear you know and then come up with so let's find a solution together right um and i think this is no different you know and i i always tell the the folks that we work with you know the The contract discussion process is no different than your patient algorithm, right? Um, If I'm a um, if I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I'm going to ask you a a series of questions, right? I'm going to say, why are you here today? And I'm not a surgeon, so I'm going to do a crappy job, of course. But if I say, why are you here today? You say, well, my knee hurts. I say, "Okay, is it a sharp pain or a dull pain? Is it a level ten pain or a level five pain? Does it does it hurt when you sit or when you stand? Does it has it hurt for two weeks or two months? Is there an instant that you remember? Um, you know, does Tylenol help or you know, it, have you iced it? I mean, I'll go through and I'll ask all these questions, and in my head I'm thinking, okay, and I'm going to touch it, I'm going to manipulate the joint, right, um, bend it. They're going to say ow, etc. Um, and then I'm I'm going to decide, okay, based on my training, you need an X ray or an MRI or you need a shot of of cortisone or whatever it is. Or you need to you, you nothing wrong with you. You need to go see a, a podiatrist or something for your for some, some for some shoes, you know. Um, so it's no different, right? I'm going to ask a bunch of questions to clarify my contract, right? Um, I see the contract doesn't state call. What's your expectation for me for call? It's ten days a month, okay? Because there's three people here. Yep. So calls equal. Wonderful. What happens if somebody leaves? Well, we split the call up. Oh, interesting. Okay. So if I'm taking 10 versus 15, do I have a say in that? Would I get paid more for taking 15? And so again, you're just you're clarifying, I'm not saying and I want, right? But you're just clarifying things. And then at the bottom you say, okay, well, based on my analysis of you, patient, I think you should take Lipitor and get a CT of your of whatever, right? Um, versus a contract discussion. It's based on now my understanding of the position. I need to have more money and a change in this language to make it a fair deal for my family. It's no different. Um, it's, I take it back. It's very, very different. But, well, it's, it's, different, but it's different process yeah. you guys are trained in the algorithm for your patients, right? You're not trained in the algorithm for the contract, and that's where education, you know, um, and you know, where, where we help out every day is helping you guys in a quick manner. You know, be trained on that algorithm for your particular story in your particular contract, which of course varies from the, you know, the pediatrician who wants to go part time in two years to the surgeon who wants to make $2 million a year to the, you know, to the uh, person joining a group of 10, to the person joining a group of two, to the person who's taken a job for a year while their spouse finishes an interventional year, to the person who's taken a job at a private practice that wants to take it over as a sole owner in five years. So you know every story is different and i think every approach needs to be customized as well absolutely
0: so tell us john where people can find you if they're like well i wish i had someone to diagnose my contract and to help me walk through this process well uh
1: i mean uh, contract diagnostics is our website contractdiagnostics.com they can search for us we're all over the place we've got uh, great lectures that are out there for people to, uh, to dial into there's no charge they can sign up for those on our website um we've got you know contract review packages they can choose those on our website we've got if they don't need a contract review we've got a world-class compensation tool where we go we give them up-to-date compensation data so for you in your market with your training here's what you should be compensated at from the 10th percentile to the 90th percentile and everything in between from vacation to cme days to total salary to rvus and collections and and we have we have good national databases like the mgma but we also have our real-time data which is updated every day so as we do contracts we put the blinded results in the database so i know if you're a hospitalist in chicago i would have to quote the mgma from 2022 that uses 2021 data i can say based on the contracts that we reviewed last month here's where you should be so we have much more real up-to-date data and we can do a call with you to give you suggestions on your compensation as well but um they can find us online at contractdiagnostics.com or they can email info at contractdiagnostics.com or they can call us um jan is amazing she answers the phone every time someone calls and you talk to a person who works here who knows more about the business than i do i think and um uh we're we're, you can just find us everywhere so we have lots of different ways to connect with us through text programs or emails or setting up free, we have a free 15 minute inquiry call on our, on our website that anybody can sign up for at any time. Um, so there's always ways to find us and uh, it's, it's pretty easy to uh, to do so as well.
0: Well, this has been a lot of fun and super informative. And I love the way that we have just sort of broken down the taboo topic of like, I don't want to negotiate to like, I want to clarify and really understand what my role is and how I'm going to be paid for that role It's such a better less stressful way to think about negotiating and i think that's very needed
1: yeah well and i'd encourage anyone listening if they have any questions for me in our frame you know uh whether it's my whether it's your particular story or you have a question on something obviously we wouldn't review a contract but they can always email you um and say hey look look uh tracy here's my question for john and then you can shoot it to me i can shoot a quick message or we can hop on and record again and you can send it out to your folks you know and i think if if one person has a question, it's it's likely that many people have that same question. So if, if there's any brave listeners out there, they want to email in a question, I'd be happy to answer it from our frame and provide the answer to everybody, because I'm sure they're not the only one with that particular question.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: Anytime we can have a guest on this show that demystifies a process that is anxiety-provoking, As a provider, and relates it to something that we're doing every single day diagnosing and treating patients, is a guest that I am so glad we got to share their wisdom and everything that they have to teach us about contracts, clarification, and negotiation. This will hopefully not be the last time that we have John on the show. I hope that you learned something and that this episode was so very helpful to you as it was to me. Congratulations. You've just joined an awesome club by listening to a full episode of the PA is in you are officially on the unicorn PA team. Welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episode of the show. The life of your dreams exists on the other side of taking action. Keep making small shifts and keep getting better. Your life will improve, your career will soar, and you will have the confidence you need to create your own success. I will see you in the next episode. This PA is out.